I'm excited about this series. I've heard a lot of great feedback from you guys uh, just sharing how important it is uh, to, to invest in marriages and not just in marriages, but in any relationship dynamic. So whether you're single or single again, I want you to hear that even as we talk about uh, uh, oftentimes marriage topics, that this applies in a lot of relationships in our lives. And as you'll see today, there is a ton to hear uh, uh, in the singleness or engagement or single again uh, phase of life. But I've heard so many share how it is really blessing their marriage and having, helping have some conversations. I want to say um, that um, we got two more weeks today and next week. You're not going to want to miss next week because um, we're going to be sharing about leftovers when it comes to relationships. Come on, bring in your best or bring in your leftovers, so you're not going to want to miss that one. In fact, would you invite a, a, a couple who maybe they're hurting, maybe they're in a bad season of life and they just need some hope injected, and if you bring them the Word of God, always injects hope it never returns void hope has a name his name is jesus come on we'll do our best to share it as clear as possible if you'll do that say i'm bringing someone all right that's a few of us a few of us bringing some people up in here it was everybody online i heard them come on man. so we are so glad about that this week i want to share a few things before i get into the message two quick disclaimers number one is this that today's topic is a little steamier than usual okay and so if you're listening online maybe you're listening to the podcast version of this or the YouTube or live if you have young listeners this might be one that you want to save till later you might even want to save it to listen with them later because as you'll hear in this message um, this topic comes up earlier than we oftentimes think in young people's lives and uh, I believe that the church needs to be as loud as the Bible is on this topic so if you've got younger listeners I just want to give that heads up that we're talking no more um, graphically related than the Bible does but the same Bible you tell your kids to read sometimes gets a little graphic okay so anyway we'll talk about that it's gonna be good for sixth grade and above and um, also the second thing I want to say is there is no way that I can cover the exhaustive God-given topic of sex in a 30-minute message. And because I always want to pastor you to have the right resources and to walk in freedom and wholeness and health um, beyond even just the sermon, and I believe you should be investing in your spiritual life beyond just a sermon a week, here are some resources that I want you to take out your phone and take a picture of the screen because there are many different things you could do to take this topic way past the 30-minute message. So it's coming on the screen right now. Here's just four things I would recommend. Number one is to discuss these types of topics with Christian mentors, counselors, pastors, maybe even your parents as well because we so frequently have these conversations with the wrong people. I want to encourage you to have have this conversation with the right people. Just say, can I have a minute to talk? Also, read books on the subject. It's, it's not sinful to read books. In fact, it's a healthy thing. One great book that I would highly recommend is called The Bible. Okay, you can download it for free. There's, the Song of Songs is specifically has a lot to do with romance, as well as a few other scriptures I listed on the screen. A few other books I'd recommend that we've read before is Married Sex by, I think it's Gary Thomas and Deborah Falea. That's a new one that just came out. The Act of Marriage by the LaHays, which is a married couple. Also, Culture Shock by Chip Ingram has two or three 
chapters on sexuality, and the rest of the book talks about just the hot-button topics of this day and what the Bible would say. So I, I love that book, too, if you want to just kind of get um, some insight on anything hot topic. Also, listen to podcasts. Maybe you're like, I'm not a reader. Well, you could download podcasts for free wherever you get it, too, that I would recommend is the Naked Marriage Podcast. is a fantastic Christian couple who talks about sex as well as other marital-related subjects. And finally, the Focus on the Family Marriage Podcast is a great resource as well. And then the fourth thing I think you can do is sign up for our marriage conference right now because listen we're, we're going to have a conference in march it's a one day saturday right here in this auditorium where this topic will be discussed as well as all things marriage from some of the leading evangelical voices on marriage and relationships and it's only 25 dollars a person you don't have to be married to sign up if you want to be married if you're single and want to be married again you can sign up too you one of the wisest things you could do is invest in your future marriage and then if you are married you and i both know we're not as good as it at it as we thought we were and we could always be working on it right you might have a good thing but let's make it a great thing and invest in those does that sound good say i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it okay all right and so um let's get into this topic today uh save the date week three i've entitled it four things you should know about sex four things you should know about sex number one sex is a god thing Sex is a God thing. In um, our world today, the topic of sex can almost sound sinful. It can sound dirty. It can sound so intoxicating that maybe it's a creation of the enemy. Maybe Satan himself created it because it's so steamy and I, I don't feel comfortable talking about it. It all feels very dirty. But Satan didn't create sex. In fact, let's look at Proverbs 5, verse 18 and 19. Maybe you didn't know your Bible got this steamy. It says, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. See, God's not a prude. God's not scared of the topic. God created the topic. He is the author and the perfecter of it. He wants us to engage in it. He wants us to have it in the proper boundaries. And as you'll see in that scripture, it begins in the situation of marriage. Rejoice in your wife. And there is no reluctance of the topic in our Bible. In other words, sex is a God thing, not a disgraceful thing. The enemy wants to make it a disgraceful thing. He wants to twist it. He wants to turn it upside down. He wants to make it dirty. But I've always loved this quote that I read in the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite books. I've quoted it before, but in case you haven't heard, it comes from a different angle. It is literally written as a fiction book based in biblical facts where one demon tormentor is writing letters to another demon tormentor who's been assigned to make sure a human soul ends up in hell when that person dies. So it's very dark, it's very twisted, but it's biblically sound. I love the way these demons speak because it reveals what the enemy thinks about sin and especially sex. Listen to this. Never forget that when we deal with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are on God's ground. 
I know that we have won many souls through pleasure. All the same, it is his invention, not ours. He made all the pleasures. All of our research department so far has not been enabled to produce a single new pleasure. All we can do is encourage the humans to take the pleasures which God has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. I think that's brilliant. I think the enemy is more scared of us realizing just how powerful of a gift this is for the marriage relationship. And he is working in overtime to screw us up and to make us to believe things that are not founded in real truth. Why don't you write this down? You can't leave the creator out of the creation of sex. You can't leave the creator out of the creation of of sex he created it not satan and to leave him out of it is to make a grave mistake in fact let's just look at the creation story for a little bit it's a little bit more erotic than most would think genesis 2 24 and 25 says the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed or embarrassed and the man said amen come on all right let's see genesis 1 27 and 28 says male and female he created them and then god blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply in other words go have sex have children it is a gift i am giving you and then i also want you to see a part of the creation story because in the creation story god created six days and on the seventh day he rested on the first five of those days, he created things other than humans, and he ended those days by saying it was good. But on the day he created male and female, he ended the day saying it was very good. Come on. In other words, I didn't make any mistakes. I'm very happy with the way it came out. This is what he told the humans in Genesis 1:29. God said, look, look around at everything I've created. Observe. Pay attention to this fact. I've given you every seed-bearing plant. Well, if you've read the story, man was alone for a little while as he observed everything. He observed animals. He, he observed all the plants and things, and he was alone. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And here he is saying, look at all the seed-bearing plants. That tells me God already created asexual reproduction. For my science teachers up in the room, he already created mitosis. He already created a way to reproduce without sexual interaction. And he said, when it comes to human beings, I'm on purpose making it a sexual bond. And I am not making mistakes. It is very good. Are you tracking with me? Say, I'm with you. In other words, he chose sex for human beings. There must be a purpose beyond what the media tells us the purpose is. It's not, he's not bashful of the subject. He's not like, oh my gosh, what did I do? <laughs> Can I take it back? No, 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 no. He said, it's very good. I didn't make any mistakes. So number one, it's a God thing. And if it is a God thing, then we need to change the dialogue about it, especially in church. Number two, sex is a great thing. 
Sex is a great thing. Along with every gift that God gave that he created, it is great. It is a great thing in its pure, unadulterated, untainted form. It is a great thing. And the enemy hates when he sees the great things God's given and gives us a gift. We need to realize that sex traditionally in church has been a taboo subject. It's been a subject or, or maybe it's negatively spoken about. In fact, so silent the church can be about it, it leaves a young generation confused how we should feel about it. But I'm here to tell you it's a God-created thing, and it's a great thing. Come on. Why in the house of God would we let God's creation be taught by the world? We have to get comfortable enough to realize if God created it and it's a great thing meant to bond a man and his wife together, then we've got to be comfortable having the conversation with the next generation because when we are mute or void, the world fills it in gladly and it gets all messed up and twisted. As a single, I used to love hearing my pastor um, uh, 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 he was also my mentor. He would speak honorably yet affectionately about his wife and getting to see her later on. He wasn't always talking sexually. What I liked about it was he wasn't scared to show that there was a fire burning in his soul that was for his wife. Not the girl on the commercial, not the one who just checked us out at the counter, not the person at the gym station next to me. I liked seeing a man who had a fire burning for his own household, and one of the things God uses to do that is sex inside of a marriage. So if sex is a great thing, let me apologize to the singles on behalf of the church. I'm sorry the church made you think it was such a bad thing. It, we have a bipolar theology sometimes we have taught, and that is this. I just took my wedding ring off. We could tell singles, it's a bad thing. Sex is bad. Stay away from it. It's so bad. It's, it's nasty. It's dirty. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. It's a great thing. Oh, it's a great thing. You just got married. It's awesome. You're going to love it. It's just going to come so natural. That's called bipolar theology. where we. It's like, which one is it? In fact, most young Christians are admitting it has messed up their sexual relationship because I was taught for so long, bad, abstain, push away, run from that I can't even find intimacy and openness in the marriage bed. I need you to understand, singles, it's not a bad thing. It's a great thing, just not yet. Song of Songs 8 verse 4 says this, young people, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. So I'm here to tell you, sex is an awesome thing. It's just not awesome um, outside of marriage. It is a great thing to look forward to when you make a covenant with God and another person. If you're with me, say, go ahead and say that. To the married couples, let me say this. I know it's impacted you to believe, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. It's so hard to flip the switch. And you might be thinking, I thought I was bad at this, and I thought sin was bad. I, I, thought, I thought sex was sinful. Listen, it's not sinful to read healthy books or listen to healthy podcasts on the subject so long as it blesses your spouse. 
In other words, if you're, if you're reading to be better at loving someone and blessing someone, that's one thing. I want to be very clear. Porn is not helping the marriage bed. I have, I've been a pastor for about 17 years now and in ministry longer than that. I have met zero couples who have admitted to me in private that we use porn and it blesses our marriage. Zero. I have had way too many to count who have privately come to me over the years and said, uh, porn has broken my marriage, porn has ruined my marriage, I might have let it in and I should have never let it in. You're not studying from a healthy source. Why don't you study from a healthy source that originates from the creator of the creation? Can I get an amen? And so, listen, it's not wrong. If you're married, to listen to certain things that are Christian-based and that bless your spouse. By the way, the best sex is always endearing of your spouse. It's not self-serving. It's not for my self-gratification. It's always, how can I best be with you? How can you best be with me? That's what we did when we walked to the altar. We said we would serve one another for the rest of our lives. Listen. 80% of marriages report having some level of sexual frustration. In other words, it's something you have to work on. And oftentimes the enemy wants to get into our marriages and start exploiting. See, you're broken. See, you're not very good. See, the grass is greener on the other side. See, uh, someone else is so much better and, and, and all this. And he tries to take what God has brought together. I read this scripture last week. What God has brought together, let no man separate. Yet Satan loves to get into the middle of the marriage bed and start trying to divide and say, this person's broken, I'm broken, never going to be enough, this is not good enough. Listen, just like salvation is a free, amazing gift from God, but we have to work on sanctification. Sex in the same way is a free, amazing gift of God for marriages, but it doesn't mean you won't have to work on it a little bit. In other words, don't let Satan's voice get so loud that he starts exploiting things and starts throwing lies into the middle of it. Don't throw in the towel. Satan loves to frustrate sexually just like he loves to frustrate any good gift from God. Are you with me? Number three, since sex is a good thing and since it's a great thing, we must realize, number three, it's a sacred thing. If it is a God thing and a great thing, we must realize sex is a sacred thing. Hebrews 13 verse 4 says, in the context of sex, let marriage be held in high honor among all. In other words, honor the marriage bed. Come on, honor marriage above everything else. I've once heard the metaphor that um, sex is a lot like having fire. If you put it in a healthy context of a fireplace, you can bring it inside. It produces light. It produces warmth. It produces intimacy. It produces heat. But the moment that fire gets outside of the boundaries that are healthy for it, it creates destruction. It creates carnage. It breaks things down. The same very thing that can bring life can also bring death. And in the same way, we've got to let marriage be held in high honor. That is the place that it was created to flourish. The word uh, 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 sex is a sacred thing. That word sacred means to honor or to have high esteem, almost fearful reverence for it, to, to, to hold it well. In fact, 
failing to honor the sacred always ruins us. Let me point out, all throughout our Old Testament, which I believe one of the purposes it is in our Bibles is to teach us all the mistakes we should not make because they made a lot of mistakes in the Old Testament. One of the mistakes was the priest Eli. He had two sons. Their job was to take over the inheritance of the priesthood. And for the priesthood, they were supposed to receive the Christians or the Israelites' offerings to the Lord. It was food offerings, and it was supposed to be sacred offerings. But the two priests of Eli used the sacred offerings in unsacred ways. They cooked it however they wanted. They used it however they wanted. They ate it whenever they wanted. They used it in any way that pleased them most. And the Bible says that because of that, curses were brought down on the Israelites, and those two sons died at a young age. In other words, you mess with the sacred, it will mess with you. Another example is Uzzah, the priest. When King David wanted to bring the Ark of the Covenant home to Israel, the Bible says it was very clear how to handle the very presence of God. The Ark of the Tabernacle was where God's presence dwelled in the Old Testament. It was clear you handle it by using poles and only priests carry it. But Uzzah, one of the priests, decided, I will handle the sacred however the heck I want to handle the sacred. And he said it would be a lot easier if we just put it on an ox cart. Maybe God's ways are old-fashioned, but let's let a beast of burden handle this thing and influence things. And the Bible says that the sacred was moved. He touched it, and he died immediately. It set people in bewilderment. In other words, you mishandle the sacred. It will mess with you. Finally, Esau sold his sacred birthright for a bowl of soup, not realizing how precious and important it was. And the Bible says that for the rest of his days, he was disdainful. He had an offense, and he had unforgiveness towards his brother. Why don't you write this down? When we mishandle the sacred, it costs us in ways that will affect the rest of our lives. When we mishandle the sacred, it will cost you in ways that will affect the rest of your life. Many could attest to this because they know, hmm, Pastor, I made mistakes before I knew the truth. And I love that the Bible does not hide from the topic that God created. In fact, you might not have realized that this next portion of Scripture is in your Bible in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and a little bit of verse 7. I'm going to read out of the Message Bible, which puts it in modern-day language. You can read it in any version you want as homework this week, but I think it's brilliant. It says there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in scripture, the two become one. And since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. I think it's interesting when modern day social science uh, begins to prove things that the Bible said a long time ago. They are now saying that sexual promiscuity and immorality and using it in ways that are beyond what God has ordained is causing depression, isolation, high anxiety, and it is rooted in premarital sex. It is rooted in using sexuality outside of God's teachings. I think it's interesting that we could just listen to what God wrote a long time ago. It says this, 
there is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the, say this next word with me, sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God, made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a, say these next two words with me, sacred place. Your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical part of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. Come on, lock, stock, and barrel. When I was youth pastors, we created a youth shirt that said, all this is his. I told them, buy that thing and wear it to your school so that you remind everybody, all of this is his, baby. Come on, listen, all of it's his because God created it and I'm going to use it for him first and foremost. He owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. It continues in chapter 7, because evidently Christians had questions about sex. Is that okay? It was for them. Look at chapter 7. Now, getting down to the questions you asked in your last letter to me. First, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? Certainly. And all the listeners broke out in applause. Yes! Oh, praise God. I was worried about that one. Woo! Certainly. Assuredly. But only with a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but you better underline this next part in your Bible. But marriage is strong enough to contain them and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. Somebody say, preach that. Come on, listen, that's your Bible. Read it in your Bible this week. That God has made a plan for sex that will bless you and not curse you. That will bring life to your body and not bring shame and regret and guilt and a hangover effect the next morning. So if, number one, sex is a God thing, and number two, sex is a great thing, and number three, sex is a sacred thing, then write down number four, Satan will try everything to pervert it. Satan will try everything to pervert it. Satan knows the power of sex. Modern science is now saying that when a man and a woman have sex, it releases a chemical bond in their brains that cause a bonding to one another, a desiring of one another, an openness with one another, an intimacy that nothing else uh, uh, provides. In other words, Satan's going, how do I get my hands on that and screw some people up? How do I get people to use this weapon that they don't realize is as lethal as they uh, thought? Because the world is going, hey, just remove your brain from the moment. Be cool. Just go along with it. Let them round the bases. Just go ahead and find yourself. It's harmless. It's the same thing Satan said to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where God said, look at all the good pleasures I provided you. I've given you every single apple tree there is. And Satan showed up and goes, Nuh-uh, God's holding out on you. You don't have to wait. You don't have to do it the way he said so. He's trying to hold back information on you. God doesn't want you to be happy. If you'll just eat this, your brains will be enlightened. You'll be cool. Everybody will socially accept you. There will be no ramifications. You won't die. 
God's just holding out on you. Let me share with you that Satan will try everything to pervert us because he knows the bond. In fact, the porn industry is now up to a $97 billion industry worldwide. It's leading to all kinds of atrocities, including uh, child pornography, sex trafficking, all kinds of dark, sinful, evil things. In America alone, there's been a 12.6% growth each year in porn cons consumption. It starts now at the average age of 11 years old. And you don't think the enemy wants to say, hey, I'm going to get them younger and younger and younger. Because if I jack them up right here, they will grow up to jack other people up. If I can get them twisted. If I could teach them the theology of sex, oh, I could mess up the world that we live in in 2023. Parents, that's why I got to say this. If you've got young people, you have to lean into the conversation. You can't. You can't be naive and wait and wait and wait. I respect when you believe is the right time, but I need you to know it's becoming younger and younger and younger. Because in the church's absence, in the parents' absence, the world will fill in the void on everything they're looking to understand in sexuality. And it might be awkward, but it is of God. And God said, you are the parent for such a time as this. I'm not scared of the culture. I'm not scared of the world today, thus says God. But I have set you apart, and you can do this through God who strengthens you. Amen? Come on, parents. Y'all going to do it. You're going to do an amazing job. Root our parents on. Four out of five 16-year-olds access pornography online on the regular. 80%. In the 50s, that number was below 35%. This is how aggressive the enemy has gotten with the sexual agenda. We must teach our young people a different message. I'm going to reread Hebrews 13, verse 4, but I'm going to continue on with the scripture. It says, let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. That word undefiled in the Greek means unsoiled let let sexuality be untainted let it not be perverted let it not be messed with it means free from deformation debasement and impairment but isn't what our media today always trying to debase and deform what God has instituted in marriage? And we call it entertainment. And we call it halftime shows. And we call it award ceremonies. And we consume it. And we need a generation of men who know how to change the channel. We need a generation of women who set a different standard. Come on. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We shall not conform to the principalities and, and the, 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 the times, but we should be trained transformed by the renewing of our minds. Why does Satan try to twist it so much? I'll say it again, because when we mishandle the sacred, it costs us in ways that will affect the rest of our lives. I want to finish with a video that tells the power, but also the perversion of sex. And I want you to pay attention to Satan's twisted plans which I've tried to explain. Check this out. Sex. Throughout the Bible, it's proclaimed as a good thing, a profound expression of love that forges a unique and powerful bond between a man and a woman. 
But along the way, something went seriously wrong. When humanity left their perfect and life-giving relationship with God, sin entered the scene and infected everything. Sin caused people to become disconnected from God, from each other, and from themselves. Sex, the ultimate connection between men and women, couldn't hide for long. Sin grabbed hold of sex and transformed it into something completely unrecognizable. This new form of sex had nothing to do with respect or commitment and everything to do with lust and control. It was no longer about two people becoming one. Sex became about the desires of the individual, a way for people to get what they want from one another. To put it plainly, sex became a transaction. And so sex strayed further and further away from God's original plan. Fast forward to today and sex is everywhere. People are obsessed with it. Sex, which used to be a good thing, became an ultimate thing. Something that validates one's very existence and the reason for living. And with its new and elevated status came many promises. Promises it couldn't deliver, leaving an entire society feeling empty and disillusioned. But like any addiction, the answer is always more. More relationships, more romance, and of course, more sex. And it's in this endless search that we find ourselves. Sex is clearly broken, but it isn't the real problem. It's simply the crack on the surface. The real problem of sin goes much deeper, and its consequences are far more devastating. Here's the good news, though. There's still hope. God can redeem you and your sexuality. Sex can be a good thing again. I think that was a powerful video that helped succinctly say something on the topic of sex that is meaningful. And I think one of the most meaningful things is that last part, there is hope and God can redeem you. I want to be very clear that the first time I was sitting in a church listening to a message like this, I was full of condemnation because I had not done it right in high school. I had not done it right in college. And I was just now realizing just how off base I was. How could I sit in the presence of a holy God and, 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 and knowing what I had done and had been a part of? See, if we let the world teach our theology on sex, imagine with me your wedding day that you get to share with the, your spouse and God the gift that you bring to the table. For me, I was a single man at the time, and I didn't want to bring to the table, hey, here's the gift of me. I'm addicted to porn. I've been with X amount of significant others, and I'm going to now bring them into the marriage relationship. I'm going to bring experiences that were meant for you into the relationship. Now I'm going to compare you. I'm not going to try to, but it's inevitable that I will. I'm influenced by the world. I see promiscuity everywhere. Um, for some, maybe that sexual immorality led to a child. And so I'm going to bring another baby's parents into the relationship. They're going to have an impact now in this future walk. And I might even be carrying a couple of diseases with me. Surprise, here's my gift to you. Listen, I get only graphic enough to say Satan's not holding back on this topic. God only gives us guardrails because he gave us a great gift and he wants you to be blessed, healthy, and whole with it. He's not a prude. He's not scared of the topic. So if you're like me, I was full of conviction knowing I screwed up. 
And for those who might feel that way, and I know that the statistics today mean there's probably a lot of us that have some secret things that we don't want to reveal to anybody. Here's what I don't want to be a secret to you. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, this is God speaking, for I will forgive your wrongdoings. I will never again, someone say never again. I will never again remember their sins. In other words, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, knowing that whoever has sin, including sexual sin, will have a weight of condemnation and guilt and shame all over them. But through the blood of Jesus Christ, when he was scarred on the cross, when nails were driven through his hands and feet, he bled so that if you and I could humbly bring our sin like a broken, humbled person taking our sexual sin. And you don't have to get on your knees today, but maybe metaphorically you can begin to humble yourselves now. And you take that sexual sin and you put it at the foot of a cross. Imagine Jesus hanging right in front of you. He's dying to cover our mistakes. Guess what? The Bible says that he will forgive your wrongdoings if you just place it at the cross today. The Bible says he will remember it against you no longer. Not to be brought back up again. When the enemy brings it back up, God says, I remember it, but I have no feelings against it anymore. I've already forgiven him. It's under the blood. If you're in this place with every head bowed, every eye closed, and you know, Pastor Drew, I am carrying some sexual sins. Some of it I signed up for. Some of it I feel like I was a victim of. Pastor Drew, I've got shames and regrets in the area of sexuality with no one looking around, all eyes closed. Come on, would you just do something small to recognize to God, that's me, and I'm bringing it to your cross right now. Maybe it's just lift up your hand real briefly and put it back down. Maybe it's just a nod. Maybe it's just very clearly you telling God, uh, uh, inaudibly, God, that's me, and I'm bringing it to the foot of the cross right now. If that's you, with every head bowed, would you just open your hands towards heaven right now? In fact, everybody can do this. Open up your hands heavenward, almost like you're you're holding it. And we say, Father, we bring this to the cross. Thank you that you're not scared of it and that my darkest mistakes, you will take and cover them. Thank you for bleeding on the cross. Thank you for dying so that I won't have to pay the ultimate punishment for my sins. The word says that when we mishandle the sacred, what Pastor Drew said is when we mishandle the sacred, that it will affect the rest of our lives. But Father, I pray that you intercede. You step into the middle of my story now and let your blood change my story. Let it cover the multitude of sins. Let it cancel all the mistakes that I've made, the things I've been victims of in Jesus' name. I feel like right now some people are getting their virginity back right now in Jesus' name. He did it for me. He restored my virginity and I was able to meet my wife, a redeemed virgin, and tell her I made mistakes. God forgave me, but for the last period of time, I have kept myself only for you. And God has done a good work in me, and he will do it in you. Whether you're married, single, looking to be married again, Father, do a redemption and a restoration of work in me. Right now, I sense the Holy Spirit's moving in person and online. Receive forgiveness. The Bible says you can't put old wine into new wineskins. In other words, we're going to leave it right here, and we're not going back to the old lifestyle. He's making us new. And 
Father, with every head still bowed, every eye still closed, I want to ask you a question to those who are listening. Are you right with God? Whether it's sexual sin or a different kind of sin, if you're ready to surrender all, you realize if I can bring that to God, I can bring anything to Him and He will receive me. Yes, He will receive you. That is the truth of the gospel. So if you're in this place today and you're like, I've got mistakes, I've got sin that I've not forgiven or I've not asked God to forgive me of. Today's your day to surrender. If you'll just quickly throw your hand high up into the sky and say, this is me. I'm giving my life to the Christ today, whether for the first time or I'm coming back again. Without hesitation, throw your hand in the air real quick, and we're going to pray along with you. Yes, yes, yes. I see hands. If you're online, that's you. Right in the chat, that's me too. And Lift Church, let's pray along with the people who raise their hands. But if you raise your hand, I need you to believe every word you repeat after me with all your heart. Come on, church, let's pray. Jesus, I give you my life. I am a sinner. I've made mistakes. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I place them at the cross now where you, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, died to pay the price for my sins. You did it for personally me. And I'm so thankful. I give you my life. I am a new person now. The old is gone, the new has come, and you are the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. And the church got loud and began to celebrate with some redeemed and restored brothers.